He is the constant in our lives, and in that we rejoice. We read a few chapter, a few verses today, and uh, we'll only be looking at a couple of them for this part of our series, The Heart of the King. This is a series that began last week that was uh, quite capably presented by Kai, Kai Stepniak, uh, the leader of our PACE team. And his presentation of Seek First the Kingdom of God was excellent if you were here. Uh, the podcast isn't up as yet, but uh, it will be. So if you can catch up on those, if you weren't here, that would be really good. You see, what Kai was reminding us and teaching us was that seeking the kingdom of God is about seeking and living in the heart of God. There's a story about a famous Scottish king, Robert the Bruce, if I can try and get my uh, Scottish accent a little bit uh, today. <laughs> and Robert the Bruce was really loved by his people. His request was that when he died that his heart be cut out, it would be embalmed and given to a worthy knight or a worthy warrior who would take it and place it in the place that he wanted it to be um, laid to rest. And some people say it was Jerusalem, some people say it was an abbey in Scotland where it was eventually laid to rest in 1998 after being archaeologically uh, extracted from the battlefield. Now his friend Douglas took up the challenge and uh, he wore it in a container around his neck. Imagine that. What have you got in that container? <laughs> Knowing it was there, his men were inspired with passion. They were inspired to fight for Scotland. They were inspired to fight with the memory of Robert the Bruce with the same passion as Douglas had as he committed himself to wear uh, Robert the Bruce's heart around his neck. One day, when backed into a corner by the enemy and feeling that defeat was imminent, Douglas ripped the heart from the container from around his neck. He held it up so his men could see it and he threw it behind the enemy's front line and shouted, Fight for the heart of the king! Fight for the heart of the king. That's an inspiring thing. In a world where there is tough times, where there is calamity, where we watch our friends uh, walk through difficulty, my call to all of us today is to fight for the heart of the king. To fight for the heart of Jesus, our king. We are called to be a people who follow in the heart of our King Jesus, aren't we? I hope this is going to work because I can't see it up the back. Hallelujah. Pete, I need your help. Oh, he's not there. He's getting a cup of coffee. Good on you, Pete. Yeah, that's the, that's the blessing of being a projectionist. Go and get yourself a coffee. All right. If that's okay, there's the line. Leave it at the line. You remember how Kai uh, showed us that we're often a people of the line. 
when we are constantly asking questions like, what do I have to do to get God's favour or his approval? Do I do this? Is, will that get God's favour? Or do I do that? Will that get God's favour? What do I have to do to avoid, uh, do I have to avoid so I don't get God's disapproval? And constantly living in this line of rules and regulations and trying to find these places where we would find favour with God. The heart of the king, it works this time, the heart of, the ki of our king is that we are to live above the line, to live in his presence, to, to be hearing his mind, to be in a place of personal relationship with the living God, of not reacting to a boss, but responding to God as father, as brother, as friend, as companion, as Lord, always seeking that his glory and light might shine through our lives. That's the heart of the king. So we would be connected with him in intimacy, connected to his heart. Today... Our subject is uh, judge and be judged. From that first verse of chapter seven of, Ma of chapter seven of Matthew, we have heard that scripture: "Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you." Often when we have views on things, we can really misunderstand what they mean. When we read scriptures, we can read it from an English context and suddenly we make an, uh, an evaluation of what it means, but sometimes we come from misunderstanding. This is a book that uh, is written by Paul Gibbs, the founder of Pays. Uh, we have a Pays team here. And it's called The Cloud and the Line, and, and our series is based on some of the thoughts around this book. And um, he, he writes this story, and I'd like to read it to you. And it's a humorous story. Often humor comes out of misunderstanding, doesn't it? And uh, it comes as a humorous thing. And let me read this. This is uh, quite humorous. Um, it was a story that he would use as a teacher. And it was about an English lady planning a vacation to Germany from England during the uh, early 20th century, a time period when you could not assume indoor plumbing was available. Prior to her visit, the lady sent a letter requesting details of the bathroom to the German schoolmaster whose home she was uh, renting. Rather than using the word toilet, as a lovely English lady, she uh, asked him for the specifics about the WC. Now, those who understand what a WC is, it is a water closet. And it was a more polite way of speaking about a toilet without using that disgusting word, toilet. So you used the term water closet, the place where you do private stuff. So um, unfortunately, the abbreviation was unknown to the German school teacher who immediately contacted the most knowledgeable person in the village the local church minister. And together they decided that WC must refer to Wayside Chapel. <laughs> and so the story goes 
that he sent her the following reply. <laughs> Dear Madam, I take great pleasure in informing you that the WC is located nine miles from the house. <laughs> <laughs> Nestled in a lovely grove of pine trees. <laughs> it is capable of holding 229 people and is open on Sundays and Thursdays. <laughs> As there are many people expected in the summer months, I suggest you arrive early. <laughs> There is, however, plenty of standing room. <laughs> this is an unfortunate situation, especially if you are in the habit of going regularly. <laughs> Don't you love it? it may <laughs> How do we get through this? It it may be of some interest to you that my daughter was married in the WC. <laughs> in fact, it was there that she met her husband. It was a blessed event. There were ten people for every seat. It was wonderful to see the expressions on their faces. My wife sadly has been ill and unable to go recently. It has been almost a year since she went last, which pains her greatly. <laughs> you, you will be pleased to know that many people bring their lunch and make a day of it. <laughs> Others prefer to wait until the last minute and arrive just in time. I'd recommend that your ladyship plan to go on a Thursday as there is an organ accompaniment. <laughs> the acoustics are excellent. <laughs> and even the most delicate sounds can be heard everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> you ready for this one? The newest addition is a bell that chimes a lovely melody at the time of release. <laughs> I look forward to escorting you there myself and seating you in a place where you can be seen by all. <laughs> How brilliant is that? Whilst it's, whilst it's really funny, when we judge based on misunderstanding, it is anything but funny. Oh, if, you're, if you're a visual person, you're really struggling at the moment. I'm glad that I read it a while ago. When we read the Sermon on the Mount from which our text is written and uh, is delivered today, we understand that it speaks not just as an individual, to an individual. 
It doesn't speak about a bunch of things that we need to do in order to gain God's approval. It's, it, Jesus teaches us about what it means to be a part of the heart of the king, to follow the heart of the king, to understand the heart of the king and to be connected with the heart of the king. He speaks not just to individuals, but Jesus addresses the community of faith. He addresses all of us. When Jesus speaks of the kingdom of God, he puts others first. When we see Jesus' leadership, it doesn't come from the top down imposing like a rulership, but it comes from the bottom up as a servant. He always is that one that comes from the bottom up and undergirds, and supports, and serves. He, he serves by thinking of others more highly than he thinks of himself. We want to be connected to the heart of the king, and if we do, we must put others first. Especially him. The principle of the kingdom of God is service, and the heart of the king is service. In our culture... The principle is, the, is a heart of receiving and being served. But the principle of the kingdom is countercultural to our culture, isn't it? It's about serving, not being served. And the heart of the king is trust, and he calls us to trust him. And before this chapter, Jesus was saying that we ought not to worry, but, not to worry, but to trust him, to seek him, to know him. And then all of his righteousness would be added to us. I found it interesting doing some research that the, um, the word, the Hebrew word for righteousness is sadak, and the Hebrew word for generosity is sadakah. So righteousness of God means generosity. When we are filled with the righteousness of God, we are generous. We serve, we give, and undergird others. Are you willing to trust him in every aspect and need in your life? Today we concentrate on the principle in community, don't judge. And to understand this, we need to understand the principle of, and I like think to explain some of the principles in Hebrew culture, ancient Hebrew culture of the firstborn. We understand what a firstborn per, who a firstborn person is. The firstborn is those who are born first. The secondborn or secondborns are those who aren't born first. So hands up all of those who are firstborns in their home. And then hands up all those who are secondborns. Some aren't putting their hands up. You're either a firstborn or a secondborn, there's nothing else. Some people are misunderstanding. You're either that firstborn or secondborn. And if we understand the principles of ancient Hebrew culture, firstborns get justice and secondborns get mercy. Firstborns get justice and secondborns get mercy. The Bible says that when anyone is born, they are born in Adam. Because Adam is the firstborn. And, but when anyone, someone comes or gets moved from being in Adam to being in Christ, the Bible calls Christ the second Adam, then we are born, we become in Christ. 
Now, in the first Adam, you get justice, being held accountable for our sin. But in the second Adam, you get mercy, because our sin accountability is given to Jesus and we are saved from that. Do you understand? The idea is that the first, in the firstborn, or as the firstborn, you get justice in that the firstborn is willing to take the judgment for the whole family. The firstborn of a, of a family was responsible for the sins of the whole family. When we read in the Old Testament that the firstborn is given a double portion of blessing, and I think some well-meaning believers pray for the double portion all of the time, I think that's a mistake because the double portion was given to the firstborn to compensate them for having to uh, take the responsibility of the family. If you want to have the double portion, that means you want to have the responsibility of the family. Are you getting that? If there is family conflict, the firstborn had to decide who was right and who was wrong. The firstborn also had to be responsible for taking the judgment of the whole family. He had to be responsible for the sins of the whole family. So, for example, if the firstborn's brother stole something and took off into another country or a place where he couldn't be uh, located, the firstborn was judged for the sins of the secondborn. Who wants to be a firstborn? Also, if your brother died, then the firstborn male must take on the wives of the dead brother. So, if you had five brothers who died in a bus accident or a chariot race, and remember this was a polygamous society, so, um, and they each had four wives, so that makes 20, and then they had uh, uh, kids, and if they all died at once, and you're the firstborn, you've got to take on the 20 wives and the kids and the whole kit and caboodle. That's the deal, you're the firstborn. Any volunteers? Okay. <laughs> the firstborn had to be the judge of the whole family and responsible for the sins of the whole family. So the judge had to be willing to take the judgment. Therefore, judge not, lest you be judged by the same standard with you that with which you judged. You don't want to step into the role of being judge of all creation because you're not willing to date the judgment of all creation. The only righteous judge is the, is the person who is willing to take or take the prize. The only person who has the right to judge is the person who is willing to take the judgment. Are you following? Do you understand this? The Bible calls Jesus the firstborn over all creation. So in the New Testament, if the firstborns get justice and the secondborns get mercy, and Jesus is the firstborn over all creation, who gets the justice? Jesus. Who gets the mercy? All creation. Do you get it? We're building it. We're building it. Now, if we do under, understand the word judgment as in you, used in the New Testament, we need to have a look at a couple of definitions. The first one is, is it means to decide, distinguish, or resolve. 
And the example of that comes in uh, Titus 3.12. As soon as I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis because I have decided to winter there. So the word decided is that same word, judgment. To decide, to distinguish, or to resolve. Now Jesus isn't telling us in Matthew 7 verse 1 to decline from deciding, distinguishing, or resolving. Is he then? If he was, we would never accomplish anything. You wouldn't be here because you wouldn't be able to decide to get out of bed. You wouldn't be able to decide to get dressed and get in the car and come. That's not what Jesus is saying. We need, we need to do these decidings all of the time, the decide, distinguish, and resolve. When the light, the traffic light is red, you've got to decide something. You, probably the best thing is decide to stop, do you think? When the bill comes from Moreton Bay uh, Regional Council to say you owe us this money for the rates on your house, it's probably a good idea to pay. If you don't pay for a certain time, they'll come and take your house away and sell it. It's probably good that when the electricity bill comes that you pay it and you decide to pay it because otherwise you'll be living in the dark with cold water. So that's the first way that we understand. The second definition is to judge in the court of law. And the example of that is John 18.31. Pilate said, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. Talking about Jesus. When Jesus is saying, don't judge lest you be judged, or judge and you'll be judged, He's not saying don't decide anything, don't distinguish anything, don't resolve anything, and he's not talking about judging in a court of law. We need the court of law to decide on matters, don't we, sometimes, even though we think that maybe their decision is not so good. We need to be able to call triple O when there's a guy trying to enter your house brandishing a weapon trying to get in and you're inside. We need the person with the gun and the badge and the red and yellow blue lights to arrive at our house to apprehend the man and put him in handcuffs and take him away, don't we? We need that. You don't want to call up Triple O and say, there's a guy outside, he's trying to get into my house and he's got a weapon with the person on the other, hand, on the other end of the phone saying, well, sir, uh, we don't want to judge people, do we? <laughs> no, there needs to be a decision. When poor Mike this morning isn't very well and he's having a, a, a medical issue and Lynn and Doug ring the ambulance they want them to decide to come and to look after Mike. So that's the second definition. The third definition is to expose motives. In biblical teaching, this has to be left with God. So in 1 Corinthians 4 5, therefore judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. This is 
the definition that we see in Matthew 7 verse 1. And there's a couple of applications from this. Some of these applications are make great decisions yourself. Decide, distinguish and resolve to walk in the light. Decide and distinguish and resolve yourself to walk in the heart of the king. You don't want to apply motives to the decisions of others. You, you can make observations about behavior like, boy, that was a silly thing to do. But you can't make judgments of who that person is. Oh, they're dirty. They're horrible. They're untrustworthy. They're unworthy in and of themselves. This is what Jesus is saying. Sure, we can say that's a stupid thing to do, but we can't judge the motive of the heart because we don't know it. Leave the heart motives to God. Don't mix actions with essence. Oops. Don't mix actions with essence. We should bring the heart of the king into destructive behavior, but we can do the. Uh, but we can. We do that without mixing motives into it. We should bring the heart of the king into destructive behavior. So if we see a brother who is in sin, those who are godly, the Bible says, or uh, those who are the brothers, restore them. Bring them into a place where they're not uh, living in sinful behavior. That's the job. We can apply uh, the heart of the king into destructive behavior but we can do that without mixing motives into it. Don't focus on the small things in others. Change the world by changing yourself. It's always harder to change yourself than to try to change others, isn't it? Who in this room can change the hard attitude of another person? No volunteers on that? None of us can, can we? It's easier to change the world by changing ourselves than it is to try to change the heart of another because we cannot do it. Take the plank out of your own eye before trying to take the splinter out of someone else's. That's how we change the world. That's the heart of the king. If we're in God's heart and following by God's heart, we will be ones who take time to look in the mirror and see the planks that are in our own eyes and we will take time to process and understand those things which restrict us and by God's help we take those planks out of our own eyes first. We change the world by looking in the mirror and taking out the plank. Judging is an internal need to control someone else. That's what judging is. Judging is the internal need to control someone else. There's really two really destructive ways to get what you need from someone else. You can do it by judging, criticizing, shaming and speaking against them or you can do it by manipulation in the following verses from this putting pearls into the faces of pigs and trying to lead them around to where you want them to go and we're not talking about that today but we can we can be really destructive 
in ways of getting things by either judging or manipulating. Jesus had this issue faced uh, or put in his face when he came out of the 40 days of wilderness. Remember after he was baptized and he went into the desert for 40 days and the devil came with three big temptations and the first temptation is Jesus turn these stones into bread because he knew he was hungry obviously the Bible says he walked uh, was in the desert 40 days and 40 nights and he was hungry duh and the devil says go on turn the stones into bread you can do it and what was Jesus response man shall not live by bread alone but by every uh, word that proceeds from the mouth of God the devil was saying are you going to manipulate your life are you going to turn the hard things in your life and make them soft or are you going to trust God what are you going to do and Jesus said, I'm going to trust God. To make a pattern of criticism is an attempt to control someone by shaming them to become someone else. You always do this. You always do that. I know as a leader, some people try to manipulate by saying, they don't like that. They don't like what you said. Do you know what they're saying about you? It's about manipulation. It's about judgment. A good husband would do this for me, or a good wife would always do that. What's the implication? If it's a good... Oh, if you're a good husband, you would. The implication is you're not a good husband. Oh, you're a good wife. The implication is you're not a good wife. A good friend would help me with the painting. <coughs> what you're saying is either you do it my way or your essence is bad. That's what you're saying. Even if you get your own way, with the friend and the painting, they'll hate you for it. They don't won't like you for it because you manipulate it. This is strike the chord, Jerry. <laughs> My friends, people who follow the heart of the king don't manipulate, they don't judge. They don't use words like, oh, if you were a good, you would help me. The person who follows the heart of the king will be a person who says, would you please, would you please help me with this? I would love it if you could please help me in this way. That's the person who follows the heart of the king. If you have to get from others what you need by judgment, there's something missing in you. There's not, not something missing in them. There's something missing in you. Those who have the heart of the king will trust him for their needs and not worry earlier on in um, chapter 6. People who have the heart of the king will trust the king to fight their battles for them. And people who have the heart of the king will trust him with other people. See, by manipulation and judgment and the judgment of the motives of others, we're not trusting the heart of the king on behalf of those people. We're not entrusting them to him. We're trying to take control and manipulate the circumstance. Isn't that what we do? That's not the behavior of a person who is following the heart of the king of the universe. 
in this series called The Heart of the King, we are saying it's, it's time that we are reminded about following his heart and coming into that deeper intimate relationship with him because people in the intimate relationship with him will not judge lest they be judged in the same standard by which they are judged themselves. It's one thing to trust God with yourself. It's another to trust others with him or to him. If you can't trust God with yourself, you worry. If you can't trust God with other people, you judge. You become critical, you become a controller, and you become manipulative. People who have the heart of the king trust God with their past failures and regrets. Back in chapter 6, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins or forgive us our trespasses forgive us our sins in the same way that we forgive those who sin against us and really it's saying if we read it in translated into Hebrew it's saying save us from ourselves save us from ourselves because we need it you see we put, give our past failures forgive us for our past failures People who trust the heart of the king trust God with their past failures and regrets. They trust him with their present needs. Don't worry. You have all of these needs. Seek first the kingdom of God and his generosity. And all these things will be added unto you. Not only do they trust, people, trust God with their past failures and regrets, not only do they trust God with their present needs, they will trust him with their future, the things that they can't see. They will trust to God others. Trust into his hands others because we don't know how others will treat us. We don't know what's around the next corner, but we will trust our future into the hands of a king who knows the future, who stands outside of time, who sees the beginning from the end, who's already walked before us and already knows what's going to happen. And so it doesn't matter if you walk, uh, or it does matter, but if you, if you um, face a life-threatening illness, if you're in a hospital bed and not able to walk like Josh, if you're going in an ambulance this morning and not knowing what's happening. The heart, the heart, um, the, the follower who walks in the heart of the king will entrust to him their future because he's the one who holds the future. But we try to manipulate it. We try to change it so that we can make the future the way that we want it to be. We've got news. God owns the future. God is the one of the Lord of the future. People who have the heart of the king will trust him with others. Yeah? People who have the heart of the king trusts everyone, everyone else to God who is trustworthy. I remember when I, Barbara and I went through some difficult times and uh, pretty well attacked years ago by other people and uh, 
a natural response is that we don't think that we can trust anybody after that. Well, the Lord revealed to, just really showed something to me in the scripture. He says to me, I've asked you to love them, not trust them, because some of them aren't trustworthy. But I'm trustworthy if you entrust them to me. I will take care of it. It's okay. So often we try to vindicate ourselves. I want to say something to you that I've learned over the years when it comes time to be under pressure and being attacked by others. This is what you need to do. Because God will vindicate you in his good time. God will vindicate you. Is God enough, big enough to handle other people's faults in your lives? Is God big enough? Is God big enough in your life to be able to handle others? Is God big enough in your life that you might be able to withdraw the planks? To look in the mirror and say, God, I entrust myself to you. Take the planks from my eyes. Take the planks from my life. Take those things which weigh me down. Take those things which are not part of your heart. Is God big enough in your life that that would be something that you would do? When we do, when we do have the conversation about their not-so-good behaviour, because sometimes we've got to have a conversation with people about their not-so-good behaviour, don't we? It will be done with grace. It will be done with forgiveness. It will be done out of the heart of the king. It will be done with a heart to restore and to heal, not to pull down and to destroy. Because when we judge people, we are pulling them down to judge them, to bring them to destruction. We are bringing them down to a place that's lower than us. But the heart of the king, remember, is to undergird and to come under and to support and to heal and to restore and to renew and to revive and to bring new life with his old, old dead life. That's what the heart of the king is all about. Will we do it with grace and forgiveness, with the heart for healing and restoration? Do you have the heart of the king? Do you have the heart of the king when it comes time to judging others' motives? Hands, oh no, I hold up. Say, hands up those who are guilty for not, for judging other people's motives because we've all done it. All of us have done it. And we continually do it. We just need to pull ourselves into line sometimes. There's this quote that I love just to finish. Oh, heck. Um, if you can't trust God with yourself, you worry if you can't trust God with that. Here's the thing. Rule with the heart of a servant. Serve with the heart of a king. Let's pray. Father, as we come to this time of your word, and we are reminded of judge and be judged, we're reminded about the heart of the king. Would you remind us that we've got planks in our eyes? Would you remind us that we need to trust you? Trust you with our past? Trust you with the needs of the present? And trust you with the future? For God, forgive us for the times that we have judged others unfairly. Forgive us when we've taken the time or we've stepped into your role rather than remaining in our own. 
Forgive us for the times that we've tried to vindicate ourselves rather than leaving it to you. Forgive us, but restore us, because your heart is for restoration and healing. Heal us, dear God. Heal those around us. Heal those who are sick. We again reminded of Josh, Mike, those who are injured in London, those who we know in our own hearts. We ask that you would heal, restore. And not just individuals, would you restore a community and draw us into that community so that we would be agents of healing and restoration in the community of Kalanga and beyond through love, through grace, forgiveness, by shining your light, the heart of our King, into the hearts of others. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.